Hi, I'm Cleo. Welcome to Studies in Taylor Swift, the podcast in which I use my PhD in English to interpret the songs of Taylor Swift. Since recording the last episode, I've found a few more scholarly sources about Taylor Swift. For example, academia.edu has seven entries under the heading of Taylor Swift Studies. Some of these are encyclopedia entries and one is a piece of performance art, but there are a couple of articles in the fields of music and literature, and I've found a few master's theses about Taylor Swift online. So this is a small but deeply interdisciplinary and maybe growing field. In this episode, we are going to focus on Taylor's love story, the third track and lead single of her 2008 album Fearless. A re-recording of this song was released as Love Story, Taylor's version in 2021. We're going to talk about dialogue and also about the related concept of dialogism, or heteroglossia. I'll explain what that is in a second, but as usual, I'm going to start by reading the lyrics out loud. As I read, think about who is speaking, whose voice or voices you're hearing. Love Story by Taylor Swift We were both young when I first saw you. I close my eyes and the flashback starts. I'm standing there on a balcony in summer air. See the lights, see the party, the ball gowns, see you make your way through the crowd and say hello. Little did I know that you were Romeo. You were throwing pebbles and my daddy said, stay away from Juliet. And I was crying on the staircase, begging you, please don't go. And I said, Romeo, take me somewhere we can be alone. I'll be waiting. All there's left to do is run. You'll be the prince and I'll be the princess. It's a love story, baby. Just say yes. So I sneak out to the garden to see you. We keep quiet, cause we're dead if they knew. So close your eyes, escape this town for a little while. Cause you were Romeo, I was a scarlet letter. And my daddy said, stay away from Juliet. But you were everything to me. I was begging you, please don't go. And I said, Romeo, take me somewhere we can be alone. I'll be waiting, all there's left to do is run. You'll be the prince and I'll be the princess. It's a love story, baby, just say yes. Romeo, save me. They're trying to tell me how to feel. This love is difficult, but it's real. Don't be afraid. We'll make it out of this mess. It's a love story, baby. Just say yes. And I got tired of waiting, wondering if you were ever coming around. My faith in you was fading when I met you on the outskirts of town. And I said, Romeo, save me. I've been feeling so alone. I keep waiting for you, but you never come. Is this in my head? I don't know what to think. He knelt to the ground and pulled out a ring and said, Marry me, Juliet. You'll never have to be alone. I love you, and that's all I really know. I talked to your dad. Go pick out a white dress. It's a love story, baby. Just say yes. Because we were both young when I first saw you. This is a difficult song to read out loud because it bristles with reported speech. It's full of quotation marks, as if it's a play condensed into song form, which of course, in a way, it is. The song is a reimagining of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, which goes part of the way towards explaining the heavy dose of reported speech. Not only is its source material a play, and therefore made up of dialogue, it's a play that is very interested in how words fail. For example, Romeo and Juliet begins with servants quibbling over the precise nature of the insults they're exchanging. Do you bite your thumb at us, sir? I do bite my thumb, sir. Do you bite your thumb at us, sir? Is the law of our side if I say I? 
No, no, sir, I do not bite my thumb at you, sir, but I bite my thumb, sir. This ineffectual exchange swiftly turns into physical violence, the natural result of an inability to communicate accurately by word or gesture. When Romeo and Juliet meet, on the other hand, their exchange turns into a love sonnet in which they complete each other's rhymes. Their linguistic meshing, an expression of their love for each other, and a rare moment of harmony in a Verona that is plagued by public quarreling. Here's a clip of that scene from a Royal Shakespeare Company performance. If I profane with my unworthiest hand, this holy shrine, the gentle sin is this. My lips, two blushing pilgrims ready stand to smooth that rough touch with a tender kiss. Good pilgrim, you do wrong your hands too much, which mannerly devotion shows in this. For saints have hands that pilgrims' hands do touch, and palm to palm is holy palmer's kiss. Have not saints' lips and holy palmer's too? I. Pilgrim lips that they must use in prayer. <laughs> oh, then, dear saint, let lips do what hands do. They pray, grant thou less faith turn to despair. Saints do not move, though grant for prayer's sake. Then move not, while my prayer's effect I take. Now, of course, Taylor's speaker is not quite Shakespeare's Juliet, and the dialogue in her song is emphatically not Shakespearean. You just heard what Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet sound like when they talk to each other. And although that is a particularly stylized exchange, at no point does Shakespeare's Juliet say, please don't go. Instead, she says, parting is such sweet sorrow. And that's precisely the point. Despite her obvious debts to Shakespeare's story and characters, Swift revels in her creation's distance from the source text. Besides the stylistic changes, this takes the form of the rejection of tragedy. The most obvious difference between Shakespeare's and Taylor's characters is that Taylor's Juliet literally lives to tell her own story. Taylor's heroine demands a happy ending, baby, just say yes. Which in fact is exactly what Romeo claims Juliet's father eventually does for seemingly no reason. Despite his objections, he just says yes to Romeo's request to ask Juliet to marry him. The demand just say yes that starts out as Juliet's request to Romeo eventually comes back as his proposal of marriage to Juliet. That line, just say yes, is really interesting to me because it takes the form of a demand for someone to say something. As if Taylor's Juliet is an amateur playwright trying to take over the play of her life, to shape it in the direction she wants it to go. In this request, just say yes, she suggests a line of dialogue to the other character. In fact, things are a little more complicated than this. After all, Juliet is speaking all the lines herself. If the song were a poem, we would probably call it a dramatic monologue. A poem as defined by the Poetry Foundation, in which an imagined speaker addresses a silent listener, usually not the reader. In this case, Juliet seemingly addresses Romeo, who seems to be the you mentioned in the first line and who does not reply. Dramatic monologues are famously tricky to interpret. In perhaps the most famous of them, Robert Browning's My Last Duchess, a duke talks to a listener about a portrait of his dead wife, and it becomes clear as he goes on that he was enormously jealous of and abusive towards her and may even have had her killed. Although he does not say any of this, it's implied in how he discusses her portrait. So if we think of this as a dramatic monologue, the question arises, can Juliet be trusted as a narrator? Why should we believe the dialogue she reports back to us? Isn't it all happening a little neatly and conveniently? And what is Romeo's response to any of this? Is he even there? Is she even talking to him? There are a lot of echoes in this song, with lines such as Juliet's baby just say yes, as we mentioned already, returning in Romeo's proposal, and her I've been feeling so alone becoming his you never have to be alone. 
And the song is actually also constructed circularly. Its last line is an echo of its first. And I think it's ambiguous who is saying the final line, we were both young when I first saw you. Is it Juliet summing up everything that she's already said, returning to her first line? Or is it Romeo? Is this part of his proposal? How do you know the difference between speaking to someone who repeats your words back to you and speaking to yourself and hearing the echo of your own voice? Is this a dialogue or a very echoey monologue? What if there were another option? The Russian theorist Mikhail Bakhtin would find even in a monologue a multitude of voices. Bakhtin suggests a way of seeing even solitary speech as inherently dialogic. With his concept of dialogism, or heteroglossia, he argues that a text that at first seems to be a unified whole can in fact be revealed to be made up of different, potentially competing or contradictory voices. That's right, even in the case of a text narrated by a single person, different discourses can break in and briefly take over. For example, for most of the song, Juliet is supposedly speaking directly to Romeo, or someone that we assume is Romeo, telling him her side of their story. But in one line at the end, she refers to him in the third person. He knelt to the ground and pulled out a ring. To whom is she speaking? Is this even still Juliet speaking? Maybe Juliet is turning to someone else, addressing this line to them, but this feels almost like a stage direction, or as if the author is jumping in to tell us what's happening. It feels like a different voice breaks in here. For the rest of this episode, we're going to talk about why this break in Juliet's narration occurs here specifically. Why is this the moment when Taylor's Juliet briefly flickers and disappears as a narrator? Or to think of it differently, why is this the point at which Taylor's authorial voice breaks in so strongly? To me, it doesn't feel like a coincidence that this happens around a proposal. Marriage and its language, and of course the all-important ring, are a recurring theme throughout Swift's work. See, for example, paper rings and champagne problems. She often subverts the words of the marriage vow as in the lyrics to Lover, in which she says, With every guitar string scar on my hand, I take this magnetic force of a man to be my lover. There, she reframes the marriage vows as a declaration of love and happy domesticity outside the framework of marriage. But her clearest subversion of the wedding ceremony is her 2010 song Speak Now, in which the repeated lyric, don't say yes, encourages the man to which it is addressed not to go through with his wedding. Let's talk a little about these two mirrored injunctions or orders, love stories just say yes and speak nows don't say yes. British philosopher J.L. Austin came up with the label of performative utterance to describe words such as I do in a marriage ceremony. In this case, as Austin puts it, quote, the uttering of a sentence is or is a part of the doing of an action which would not normally be described as or as just saying something. That is, by saying I do in response to the question, do you take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife in the context of a marriage ceremony, you're not only saying the words I do, but actually marrying that person. Now, as we touched on earlier, love story is focused on the way in which the word yes takes on a particular power and meaning when it takes the form of a response to a proposal of marriage. In this way, the answer yes that Romeo asks for at the end of the song is a performative utterance. Once Juliet says yes, she will not just be saying yes, she and Romeo will be engaged. As we establish, we don't know whether this happens, but that powerful yes is the answer the song is asking for. And speak now, the speaker tells the soon-to-be groom, don't say yes, and I'll read a few lines for context. Don't say yes, run away now, I'll meet you when you're out of the church at the back door. Don't wait or say a single vow, you need to hear me out, and they said speak now. The speaker imagines successfully stopping the ceremony, and the grateful ex-groom telling her, baby, I didn't say my vows. 
So glad you were around when they said speak now. She imagines her words having a disruptive effect on the ceremony, sapping its power by preventing the all-important words from being spoken. Interestingly, the speaker of Speak Now upends the marriage ceremony by taking part in it. Although she dismisses the ceremony as an exchange of, quote, fond gestures rather than real fondness, she waits to speak until instructed to do so, rather than just breaking in at random. She takes the ceremony at its word, only to be faced with the horrified looks of those who put more emphasis on empty forms than real feelings. Swift clearly puts a lot of thought into what marriage is and means, and what kind of commitment to another person and to society it demands. But this doesn't mean that she's wholeheartedly in favor of it. In some ways, thinking about marriage is for Taylor a way of thinking about the power of language. The language of the marriage ceremony is almost uniquely powerful in having the effect of binding one person to another. But in other ways, that language stands against individual creativity, holding up its standard, repetitive words as the utmost mark of romantic affection. Swift revolts against these standard words and phrases in ways large and small, for example by adapting them to her own purposes and lover, a revolt that's also an embrace. She writes songs about weddings that don't happen, think about the turned-down proposal and champagne problems, and the interrupted wedding in Speak Now. Even Love Story, that seemingly so straightforward narrative of a love story that ends in a proposal of marriage, leaves us with some ambiguities. Its speaker neither accepts nor turns down a proposal of marriage that takes the form of an echo of her own words. This is not the same thing as not writing about weddings. Not writing about weddings betrays indifference. Writing about weddings that fail betrays a complicated relationship with the ways in which language and love intersect. Maybe that's why she's so interested in Romeo and Juliet, which, after all, is a play about a marriage that goes badly wrong. I'm just thinking about the line, and they said, speak now, which is this moment in which really anything can be said. The one moment of unpredictability in the wedding ceremony, the moment where you don't control the dialogue, you don't know who's going to speak and what they're going to say. Maybe there's a way of seeing that as a metaphor or a figure for how Taylor interacts with the set text of the marriage ceremony and that other set text about marriage, which is Romeo and Juliet, and tries to get a word in, tries to find a part for herself in those exchanges of dialogue. I just wanted to end with my own weird take on love story, which I accept is wrong, and yet still fully believe. I was a scarlet letter feels to me like it means Juliet is pregnant. In other words, that love story is about a shotgun wedding. The Scarlet Letter, of course, is a novel by Nathaniel Hawthorne about a pregnancy outside of wedlock, and this feels like the only conceivable, as it were, reason for Juliet's father to change his mind so abruptly. Is this wrong? Probably. In fact, Taylor seemingly uses the expression in New Romantics to mean she's the target of rumors or center of scandal or something, and nowhere does she imply that the Scarlet Letter has anything to do with pregnancy. But sometimes getting something wrong is a way of demonstrating utter commitment to it. Thanks for listening to episode two of Studies in Taylor Swift. Get in touch at Studies in Taylor Swift. That's Studies in Taylor Swift, all one word, all lowercase, at gmail.com. You're listening to Happy Strumming by Audionautics. <laughs>